Hey, now say now you're tuned in to the Wake Up and Win podcast, and I am your host, Devon Pouncey. I'm here in the beautiful city of Portland, Oregon, and this week on the Wake Up and Win podcast, we got another guest coming on. Um, this is a very special guest for me, uh, very near and dear to me. He was actually my coach back in my junior college days. And for those of you that know me, you know I advocate heavily for junior college because it played such a pivotal role in my life and my basketball career, you name it. If it wasn't for JUCO, whoo-wee, I don't know where I'd be right now. But this guy, he's currently the head coach at Merritt Community College in Oakland, California, men's basketball, that is. Um, he was my coach at Diablo Valley College. He was our head assistant coach at DVC, where we got down at. You know, I got to show love to DVC. Derek Jones, man, yeah. thank you so much for joining me. Man, it's, it's a pleasure and it's an honor to, to be out here rocking with you, man. It's good to see what you're doing. Man, trying to make it happen, man. Trying to make it happen. Um, but but let's jump straight into what you're doing right now. And I actually want to speak more so to the times that we're in politically, because um, obviously we just had an election. We got a new president elect and Joe Biden, VP elect Kamala Harris. Um, but we've had record breaking numbers when it came to voting here in the United States of America. And you actually started somewhat of an initiative on the college basketball circuit that I don't know if many people know about. Um, but it was basically having your players go and vote on election day, uh, canceling practice. I don't know what practice quite looks like for you in a pandemic right now, yeah. But, yeah. but but nonetheless, you kind of sparked the flame and it, it, it spread like a wildfire. So kind of talk about what it was that you were able to do this year um, amongst really the college basketball circuit. Um, you know, for me, you know, I look back to, you know, when I was at the age of my players, when I was, you know, 17, 18, 19 years old, um, for me, you know, I registered the vote, but I had no clue what I was doing. I knew nothing about the power of the vote. And, you know, as I see the things going on in the world and, you know, I see people complaining about stuff and being upset about different things. Um, you know, now that I'm older, I understand what the vote means and I understand the the system of government and the, you know, local representatives and measures and propositions. Like I, I understand it now. So I think it's important that so many young people are affected by this. And I think it's important for them to to know what a vote is and what it means and, and the whole process. So um you know, as people were complaining about, you know, complaining about Trump, complaining about Biden, complaining about this, complaining about that, like you have the power to change that. And also having them realize that, you know, there are so many other people besides the president. You know, you have your your local reps, you have your senators, and um, there's so many branches of government that you need to be concerned about. Um, and so that's why it's important not to just vote, but understand what you're voting for. Absolutely. Absolutely. And talk about kind of what it was that you did in particular um, with Election Day and really kind of how that played out. And like I said, I don't really know what certain restrictions were as far as the pandemic is concerned, but just kind of talk about the idea that that really came from your brain and, and branched out nationwide. Well, you know, what I wanted to do is is make sure that my players went to the polls. Um, and I wanted to make sure they were educated about what was going on. So, um, you know, I, I was I was on Twitter and I was just kind of thinking out loud and I was like, you know what, we're not voting. On, we're not practicing on Election Day, November 3rd. And um you know, this was way back in the summertime before we knew where the pandemic was going. So I just knew no matter what that my team was going to, you know, perform their civic duties and, and, and go out and vote. And it was it was crazy that it just like it, how it spread and it became a whole movement. Um, you know, it kind of got hijacked a little bit. Yeah, uh, it happens. It happens. Yeah. <laughs> That's and, why I want you to talk about it. Um. I mean, it, it, it got hijacked and, and and it went in kind of a direction that that I wasn't necessarily a part of. 
But my whole thing is, it's like Tupac said, I may not make a change, but I may spark the brain that creates change. And so my whole attitude was, you know, it did turn into something positive. Um, you know, for me, it was a lot more about the education part of voting, understanding what you're voting for. Um, like, cool, it's one step to get everybody registered, but it's another step to educate them so that they actually, you know, use the power in their vote. Because I didn't want my guys just going in and checking, you know, president, and that's it. Right. Like, there's a whole bunch of stuff on that ballot that, that you need to know about. And so, um, you know, I, I wanted to, you know, I, I was glad that it happened. But at the same time, I wish I could have been more involved in it um, because, you know, step by step, I think I could have added a lot more to it as far as the education side. Because I've been in education for, you know, like 15 years now. So Yeah, you're still teaching out there, huh, Jones? Yeah, yeah, I'm still, yeah. You know, I'm still teaching. And so, you know, for me, it was it was more than basketball. It was just an educational moment. So, you know, I did what I could on my end and, and you know, the, the movement kind of, you know, took on a life of its own. For sure, for sure. Um, what's it been like, you know, with your players through a pandemic? Obviously, you know, since late May, you had the murder of George Floyd that, you know, sparked a lot in, in this country nationwide when it came to um, police brutality. Obviously, you got the Breonna Taylors, the Ahmaud Arbery's, the list goes on and on. What's it been like for you having to juggle both a pandemic where interaction I would imagine isn't quite the same when it comes to you being able to be in contact with your players, but also knowing that you've got players that are living in this moment. We're seeing how much of a life um, athletics has and, and, and really when it comes to uh, protesting and when it comes to using our voices. And just a few years ago, it was sort of more so looked down upon when Kaepernick did it. But now at all levels, you're seeing athletes use their voices. What's it been like for you and your team over at Merit? Um, well, at the beginning in March, when we first, it, it, it kind of, it was tough because um, a week before the shutdown, we were just starting to get like all of our team together. We we're having some open gyms. And then we got shut down. And so beginning of the pandemic, we did a lot of stuff on Zoom. We did workouts on Zoom. I had a MBA and, and college uh, head coaches on Zoom with my guys to keep them engaged and talk to them about different stuff. And fortunately, as we moved on through the pandemic, we've been able to, you know, do some some working out outside and and some stuff like that. And uh, the guys have shown a lot of initiative, like when parks open back up and they could hoop again, like they were just going old school, like going, going to the park, like, Hey, we're going to be at the park at three o'clock. And, and so that was, you know, I admired that. that that's leadership. That's initiative. And, you know, that shows me, you know, we got a great group of kids that really want it. Um, but honestly, the toughest part of this whole, you know, last six months for me has been, the protests, um, you know, the, the police brutality, because I worry about my guys. Um, right. Right. I have a lot of guys who are, who are active. They, they're out there. They're at the protests. Yeah. Um, and I, and I worry about them. You know, I, every, I was constantly sending texts cause you know, there'd be a rally in Oakland. I'd be like, yeah, we're going to the rally. And I'd be like, man, be, be careful. Like, you know, be safe. And, you know, I don't want, I don't ever want to open a newspaper or turn on the news and, and see something that's ever happened to one of my players. Um, yeah, that, that it's not a good feeling. I mean, I've never been a coach, but, you know, yeah. I, even working, you know, in college athletics, I've seen it happen and it's definitely not a good feeling. Yeah. And so, I, you know, I worry, you know, that's been the toughest thing, just worrying about them being safe with, with one hand COVID, being safe at protests. And then just as, as young men, just, you yeah. know, being safe. So, you know, it's been tough, and but, you know, we've, we've fought through it. We've progressed. Um, and, you know, it's been good for me as a coach as well because I've gotten to know my guys a lot better because we've had to spend more time talking. 
Yeah. Um, we, have, we have a weekly Zoom call, um, you know, about the mental side of basketball. We don't really talk X's and O's or anything. We talk about, you know, how do you like to be talked to? Yeah. Uh, failures. How do you do when you fail? Um, you know, how do you deal with pressure? Um, what are things that you can do to pick somebody up? Well, what are, what's your motivation? And so I've gotten to know each guy in such a different way that would maybe take me until like Christmas time during the season, like by yeah. the end of summer, like I really know all my guys. So, you know, that's been the upside of Zoom. That That's really interesting you say that because, you know, I'm looking at teams and, you know, kind of the uncertainty of what a season is going to look like, especially, you know, on our side of the country on the West coast. And, you know, a lot of these coaches know that they're going to be behind in regards to sort of the on-court development of the team, being able to build chemistry and all those things. But you speak to a really important part of chemistry, which is knowing the guy that's beside you, knowing the player that you, that you're coaching. So you're all able to put each other in the best position possible to thrive. So it's interesting hearing that perspective where sort of the communication aspect has took on even more of a pivotal role than the actual development aspect and being on the floor. Yeah, it's been fun for me because I've always prided myself on, as a coach who, um, you know, I really, you know, every coach says that they care. But, you know, for me, it's such a long-term thing. Like, you know, I tell my guys, there's going to be a point in, you know, 10 years, you might need a letter of reference from me. And, you know, I'm still there for you. So um, I really care about each one of my players as young men. So, you know, being able to have extra time because, you know, in the rat race of the season, you know, you come in, you practice, you know, maybe you chit chat for a little bit after practice and then everybody kind of leaves. But, you know, we I've really gotten to know this group and gotten attached to each one of them. So um, it's been a pleasure and it's taught me a lot as a coach. Like, you know, I know from now on moving forward, you know, I'm going to spend so much more time on the, on the human aspect because I want each one of my guys to know that uh, I care and I'm invested. And, you know, once you stop dribbling and once the game tells you, you can't hoop anymore, like I still care, like I'm still there for you. Yeah. And I can certainly vouch for that, you know, as a former player of yours, you and I, you know, you, you knew how to pull me to the side and, and communicate with me in a way to where one, it was going to stick and I was going to be able to adjust to that um, in a way that would make me be productive and successful. But also, you know, you kept in touch what I was doing, you know, off the floor. And you didn't obviously sometimes being a coach, being somebody in authority, it can look as if maybe you're trying to see what I'm doing to kind of sniff me out. And obviously if I'm doing what I'm not supposed to, you'll probably be out to get me as a coach, but it was just more so in a way of, like you said, really caring about, about your players in this case, me um, when I was, you know, doing some things and involved in some things and engaging in things that uh, weren't necessarily the best for me, but I'm still playing basketball over here as well for you. So um, I think you've always had a gift at that for sure. Yeah, it's lessons because, you know, a lot of my guys I follow on social media and, and this and that, and I tell them, look, I don't, I really don't care what y'all are doing. You know, if I see something that I think is detrimental to your life, you know, I'm going to speak to you about it. And I tell them all the time, like, if I see something, there's not going to be any punishment. We're going to have a conversation about it. We're going to address it and we're going to take care of it. But, you know, if, if, you know, I, it was a, like a few years back, I had a kid, I saw him drinking on, on social media. Now I went you used to, to him. see me drinking on social media. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, <laughs> I mean let's, <laughs> let's keep it real. We keep okay. it real here, Jones. Keep it okay. real. <laughs> but so, so my thing is, okay. Obviously it's, it's, it's detrimental to you, but it's really going to be detrimental if a four-year coach sees it. And what type of impression are you giving them when they see that on social media? So for me, I always address it in those terms. Like you're at JUCO, you're trying to get out of here. You don't need to have any strikes against you. You don't need to have a coach that's interested in you see you drinking or, or smoking or, or doing whatever on social media. Yeah. Um, like I'm not 
Dudley do right. I'm not here to tell you how to live your life off the court. Like, obviously you should be, you know, taking care of your body, but you know, I was at that age too. Like, you know, you don't go to a party, you don't, you know, have a drink, but you know, stay in control, moderation, yeah. don't drive, don't do, do the stupid stuff. Right. But yeah, I, I always wanted to make it a point. Like, look, it's not going to be any punishment. Like, you know, let me just know about it, man. It, to man, it's real because I mean, our, my, our head coach at the time was Steve coach Amiglio and you know, coach Amiglio shout out to him. And we'll talk a little bit more about him. Uh, mm-hmm. Recently retired hall of fame coach um, at the junior college level in California. But, some of the stuff that you saw me do as an assistant coach on social media, I know wouldn't have even flew with Coach Amiglio, mm-hmm. who was a lot more old school, a lot more old fashioned, wasn't necessarily in touch with what we were doing in the generation we were coming up in today. As, in regards to social media, he didn't have a social media then. No. I still don't. I still don't no. think he has a social media no. now. So no. that that tells you. <laughs> Only time he's on the internet is to check the horse races. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. So that just goes to to let folks know, you know, where he stood then and he still stands there now. So it's not a knock against him, but he he was an old school guy. Um, But had he even seen a lot of that, you know, I wouldn't have necessarily not only just not felt comfortable with him seeing it just because it wasn't the right thing to do, but on the court, I could see a, a, a place and space where, he might call me out for it and he wouldn't yeah. be wrong. You know what I mean? But that might not necessarily be what's best for me to be able to produce for him as a player. And so the way you were able to approach me and pull me to the side, like, yo, Pounce, look, I see what you're doing on social media. I ain't here to really talk to coach about it. I'm not here to, to, to talk to anybody about it really, but you and that might not be the best thing for you to do. And I still don't really post myself drinking on social media to this day. And you were literally the first person to ever tell me that way back then when, when I was in junior college. So like I said, it's real when it comes to the, the, your approach as a coach to these players and these young men. Absolutely. Cause I'm, you know, we're, we're, te- we're coaches, but we're teaching you how to be men. And I want to teach you how to make good decisions, not tell you how to make good decisions. I can sit there and tell you not to drink, but if I can teach you how to make decisions about drinking, now it's with you for the rest of your life and you yeah. can stand on your own two feet. Cause I'm not going to be there for the rest of your life to say, put a drink down or don't take pictures with drinks. Like right. that's something you got to do as, as a man. So right. um, if I could just plant that seed and, and you grow it, however you want to grow it, I think, you know, teaching you how to make decisions is what my goal was. Yeah, definitely. No, I much appreciate it. Like I said, for for the most part, it's really stuck with me, especially in comparison to back then. You know, we were young. We were doing anything on social media. That's why sometimes I even have a hard time when folks go up and dig up old tweets from however many years ago and, you know, try to, you know, do whatever type of smear campaign it is they want to do on that particular person. But it's like knowing how I was on social media in comparison to now, because I wasn't even necessarily thinking about now so much back at that time. You know, I, I, I try not to judge people for the stuff that they said back then. You know, there's, I mean? there's got to be growth. I mean, yeah. You know who you were in, in what was it? 20, 2014. Yeah, it was 20, 2012 to 2014. 2011, yeah. I got 2011 through 2014 because yeah. I took whoever you were in 2013, 2014 is not who you are now. People evolve. 100%. Grow. And so like when I see people dig up old tweets, like, you know, people grow, people evolve and you can't hold stuff. You know, I mean, obviously there's some stuff that's like immoral and, and so forth, but you know, you can't hold things against people for the rest of their lives because people get educated, people learn, people grow, you know, I grown. Absolutely. For sure. Um, I want you to just talk about real quick, the actual credentials to be a coach. And, and here's why I've been on the player side of things and I know, um, how critical we can be as players when it comes to coaches. Mm-hmm. I know how critical parents can be when it comes to coaches, fans, the rest of the faculty, staff, you name it, whoever is coming to watch you play. I know how critical people can be of coaches, um, almost to the point where 
it's like, well, you go out and do the job then. I know you probably have had that feeling before oh, yeah. as a coach where you want to tell somebody that thinks they know more than you about the game. Well, you come out here and try this and see what happens. Yeah. Um, so kind of speak to just the credentials to even be able to get to a point to be a college head coach and, you know, some of the stuff that you had to go through to get to this point to where, you know, somebody that may try to criticize you. And that's not to say you'll be a perfect coach, but mm-hmm. kind of speak of what it takes to get to that point um, to show really what your credibility is, regardless of what somebody may think. Well, you know, um, it's funny. I start every year off and I tell my team I'm going to make mistakes. And, you know, as the coach, there is no perfect coach. I'm not going to call the right play every time. I'm not going to always do the right thing every time. But what I can promise you is I'm doing the right thing in that moment based on the information that I have. And and that's the best that I can do. But I mean, as far as the uh, credentials, um, you know, I got my bachelor's degree in philosophy. Um, and then uh, I ended up, I got my master's degree online um, a little bit later. Um, but, you know, the education, you can't even really get in the door. You know, you can get in the door at the four-year level with a bachelor's degree and, and become a grad assistant. But in order to be a head coach, you're going to have to have a master's degree in, mm. somewhere in the physical education field. Yeah. Only way to get around that is, you know, they give exceptions like, you know, like Clyde Drexler. He went back and coached at Houston and he didn't have his degree. So unless you are a Hall of Famer or an ex-NBA player. Yeah. <laughs> you're going to have to have an education. Um, and, you know, I, I think education gets lost so much in, in college, high school, college. Like people forget about it and they forget that we're – educating kids and teaching them how to deal with situations and people get caught up in the wins and the losses and my kid needs the ball and this and that. And, uh, I'm a firm believer in, in adversity. Yeah. Like, you got to go through some, some BS to, to get to the other side and, and learn that in life, cause it's not going to be the, the last time that you're going to have to climb over a hill to get to something. And, and the more that you, have confidence in yourself and the more that you get used to busting through walls, the better it's going to be. Um, that's why I'm not a big fan of the transfer. Like, ah, you know, interesting it, here. Cause I, I, I disagree, but <laughs> I mean, you know, I feel like if there's a case where you're being mistreated, yeah, absolutely. 1000% get out of there. Right. If you're leaving because you're not playing, get better. Make yeah. the coach look stupid. Right. I tell people all – I'm sure guys, you would love to look stupid in those kind of situations yeah. 10 times out of 10. <laughs> I, I tell you, you know, every time somebody comes in my office or if there's a meeting about playing time, yeah, I say, man, make me look so bad to where when you get in the game, people are like, whoa, why is he not playing this dude? Right. Um, but, you know, you, you got to – think everything's not going to be instant. Like, if you're a freshman and you're not playing – well, maybe you need to learn and get better and get acclimated to things, and then it, it'll hit later on. I mean, you know, there's a lot of great players that didn't play until their junior years of college, and, and it's okay with that. People develop at different times, but I think everything is just so instant. You know, you got parents now who have freshmen coming into high school talking to the varsity coach, talking about, you know, where's my son going to play and how many minutes is he going to get? I'm like – this kid is 13 years yeah, old. Yeah, right, right, 12, right. 13, 14 years old. Like, yeah, I, 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 I definitely, I definitely would agree with you on the high school level. Um, I really don't like to see kind of the transfer situation, especially at the younger ages at that level. College, the only reason, and I know you coach JUCO, but like, especially when you start talking more so like NCAA and things of that sort. Much much different. Yeah. You, you, at, at that level, because of um, all the ways that I feel like athletes are being cheated and undervalued, like, that is kind of the space and the lane where they actually have some type of freedom at a level where they should have a whole lot more freedom because, again, they're being undervalued. So at the JUCO level, I, I hear you. I yeah. can see what you're saying. But at the NCAA level, I think more in particular – I have oh, a hard yeah. time with, with, with being able to tell athletes 
whether to transfer or not, because for one, they're not even getting paid to, to play out there. And well, they're the making N- loads of money for the NCAA to be able to sustain. At the, at the NCAA level, it's so different because I tell my guys all the time, I am probably the last coach that you're going to play for that's going to truly care about you as a human being because the next person you play for is going to be a different relationship because their mortgage, their car payment, their kids in private school, their wife driving a light, nice car, all that is dependent upon how you play. Yep. So you have a, it's, it's a business relationship. Right. And things change. Like if, if you, if you go 0 for 10 from, from three with me, we might lose, but I'm not going to lose my house. Yeah. <laughs> You're good. Yeah. The next coach, <laughs> yeah. you go 0 for 10, he might be in a contract year and, and lose his job. So yeah. the, the pressures that sometimes those coaches project on players is completely different. Like, I just – I want to win. Yeah. They have to win. To win. <laughs> completely it's different. It's a totally different ball game. Totally Completely different. different. <laughs> I hear you. I hear so, you. Yeah, that's why I say at that level, if if kids are being mistreated or or done wrong or or you know not being done fairly or whatnot, because I mean it's a lot of which uh, they are by default, I believe, yeah. which is why I don't really have a problem with or, with them transferring under most circumstances. Yeah. Now, do what I you know obviously it's case by case whether I yeah. agree that it's best for a player to transfer at whatever given time, but as far as them doing it. I'm not somebody who's going to put the hammer down on them if I don't agree nah, with it nah. because it's so much stuff that I don't agree with at that level that yeah. that's kind of peanuts to I the elephant that is the NCAA. Yeah. I, no, should you, rephrase it. I should rephrase it and just say if you're, leaving, if you're transferring because of playing time and you're young and you're a freshman, I always say give it two years. Okay. And, and make it the I, I like it. I like yeah. it. I like it. Yeah, trust like me, it. these kids, there's it's a lot of reasons for them to transfer. They, they, you know, the names have been called. I've seen stuff firsthand, uh, especially at DVC, like all the teams that used to practice there. Yeah. I mean, because <laughs> yeah. I would always stay and watch the practices trying to, you know, take notes and stuff. Right, right. And I would see some stuff and be like, whoa. Yeah, too like much. ugly at that level. At that level, yeah. We used to have a lot of teams come practice at DVC when they yeah. flew in and traveled in. I remember that, you know, yeah. back when I was playing there. So, oh, yeah, I could imagine. Yeah. I could imagine. Um, speaking of DVC, though, I do want to bring up Coach Amiglio, um, Steve Coach Amiglio, that is, longtime coach at DVC, one of the most winningest coaches in the state of California, if All not the days. most. I, yeah. uh, no, no, per, Coach Carr at San Jose was, was – I remember. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah, but, yeah, yeah he's but in the Hall of Fame. Top five, Hall of Famer, all that good stuff. Great coach. Yeah, yeah. Um, um and, and was really successful at the junior college level. But um, just kind of speak to, you know, your time at DVC coaching under him and just some words you, you may want to share in regards to him actually recently retiring, you know, being a Hall of Famer, all that good stuff. Yeah, nah, he – um. It was funny, man. He he gave me my first first shot, man. It was because um, I was at Berkeley High, and um, I lived by DVC, and I was helping Coach McNeil. I was an assistant at Berkeley High, and so at night, one of the one of our kids who was at DVC, Kufu Najee, um, he would be like, "Hey, Coach, why don't you come work me out?" And so four nights a week, I was in the gym with him, and we was just doing one on one workouts. And then um, you remember Ronnie Bake? Uh, you know, Baker. that's my God. Baker, yeah. Baker is the reason I went to DVC. Yeah, so Baker yeah. started joining the workouts, and then Zatani started jumping in and, yep. and Rock. And pretty soon I had, like, almost the whole team in the gym with me at night. And so yeah. one night he came over, and he was just like, hey, you know, what are you doing? I'm like, oh, I'm an assistant at Berkeley. I know Khufu. He's like, well, uh, do you have a degree? And I was like, yeah, I got a bachelor's degree. And he's like, you know, I need an assistant coach. But he's like, if you want to be serious at this level and be a head coach, he's like, you got to have a master's degree. He was the first one to tell me that. Wow. Our first I never com- knew this. Our first, first conversation. conversation. First conversation on the bleachers yeah. in the gym. He was like, you know, if, if you just want to want to coach, that's fine. I don't have a problem with it. But he's like, if you want to move up, he's like, you need to – uh, start a master's program within the first year or two. 
He's like, yeah. otherwise, I'm gonna probably won't keep you around. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> that was him, man. Yeah. I'm gonna t- after you finish, I'm gonna tell my my story about Coach Bud. Yeah. Yeah. And so, <laughs> um, you know, the first year, I just kind of um, kept my mouth shut and, and and learned from him and watched how he handled teams and in different situations and. Um, you know, he, he was actually my, uh, mentor person for my, my master's program. Um, you know, when I had to do my thesis and my, my final part of my thing, he helped me, helped me out with that. And, um, it was, it was such, he, you know, every year he gave me more and more, you know, responsibility. Yeah. It was, it was perfect because, you know, it got to a point to where he had ended up getting, uh, having to miss six games and I had to become head coach. And this was like maybe four years. It was, a uh, probably, I think it was the year after you left. Wow. I didn't know that either. Yeah. 2015 or 2016, but I got to get my feet wet and, and, and coach six games. So that was a great experience. Um, ended up going, you know, five and one. And so that, wow. gave, that gave me confidence. Like, yeah. okay, I can do this. Um, I, I can do this. And then from there, like, you know, running practices and, and, and different things. And, and he really helped, helped mold me, taught me about the value of education, um, taught me how to build men. Yeah. Um, tough love soft love, like just um, how to just treat people like individuals. So I'm I'm real grateful. Like I would say 95% of the stuff I've learned at the JUCO level, I I learned from him. Absolutely. And and I I would imagine it made the transition easier, you know, than it probably could have been going to merit. It was like, (laughs) it was, it was a piece of cake because, um, there was, I had my first year, I didn't encounter anything that I hadn't seen before. Right. Right. I mean, there, there was nothing that caught me by surprise. Like I wasn't nervous. Um, you know, the, the paperwork side of things, the planning side of things, the strategy, like all of that was, 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 I was, I felt like I was prepared for it. So, um, I definitely thank him for, you know, grooming me and, and, and getting me ready and, you know, he made phone calls and, and supported me and called over to Merritt and, you know, everything that I needed. So, yeah, I yeah. definitely appreciate it. No, I, I love that about him, man. And you you talked about kind of the tough love aspect of him. He was – if as a fan, as a spectator, he was so entertaining of a coach to watch on that sidelines because, boy, he was theatrical. i some of the wildest <laughs> stuff. Over over the ten years, hey, man, he was a nut on that sideline. Great coach, yeah, uh, a coach that I appreciate greatly. But it was like, woo, some of the stuff that I know you've heard on that sideline. Obviously, I've heard as a player, not only in the sideline but in the locker room as well. Oh yeah, the woo, funniest thing of- is, so I used to sit um, right on, to his right all the yeah. time. So every time he would get mad, he would punch my leg. <laughs> and then he would apologize for it. Yeah, and it was just his natural reaction. He would just hit me, and I, I'm like, "Man, the worse y'all play, the worse my left leg." Man. <laughs> Every time y'all turn it over, man, <laughs> I'm over here hurt. <laughs> but uh, that's that. Like, it was funny because one day we was in practice, and he's like, "Man." If we keep it up at this rate, man, you're going to be paralyzed in your left leg. (laughs) But that used to be the running joke, man. Sometimes I would just scoot over sometimes when there's a turnover. Yeah, Yeah, so you wouldn't catch that shot, huh? (laughs) But, yeah, now one thing I I loved about him, and I learned it more so, like, after I left and went on to play at Pacific, but one thing that – I don't think would sound attractive to most players, especially young players right now, because like I said, you, you look at kind of the freedoms that a lot of these young players are pushing for. Um, there is still a certain mentality that comes with that in uh, certain cases and scenarios. But one thing that I liked about coach and I didn't realize it until I was older was coach was literally going to plug and place you from the JUCO level to whatever university he saw fit. 
not necessarily the university or the school that you as the player saw fit. I seen I had teammates and seen guys that may have scored 25 points in a game because we had D1 coaches in our gym often. We had a couple D1 talents. Mm-hmm. Um, as you mentioned earlier, we used to have D1 teams come to DVC and practice in our gym. So they watch our practices and check us out, sometimes even our games. Mm-hmm. Um, so we often had D1 coaches in that gym. But you may have a player that goes for 25 in front of this D1 coach. But coach might not think D1 is the best fit for you to thrive and be – and, and, and max out when it comes to your potential and when it comes to how successful you could and should be and making sure that you go to a level where you're actually going to play, where you can produce and, and, and really give yourself an opportunity to grow and do so much more on the floor and off the floor. And like I said, that isn't the most attractive thing to hear if you're a recruit. Like any young kid that scores 25 in front of a D1 coach and the D1 coach inquires about him and coach is like, no, nah, don't worry about him. <laughs> like he, yeah. he's not, he's not coming to you. He's not yeah. coming to your school. That, like I said, that don't sound cool coming into the situation. It sounds somewhat kind of like a dictatorship, but the turnover rate when it came to the success of not only his program at DVC, but also the success of players that moved on and continued to play beyond DVC and be successful playing beyond DVC is something that really was all around me. You know what I mean? And during mm-hmm. my time spent there, you know, I've heard obviously stories in the past. You look at all the names that, that he has up in the gym, mine included. Um, it's just a bunch of guys that were able to go on to the next level and have a bunch of success. And so that was one of the things for me that was like, I said, it wasn't attractive at all. But in the end, I saw a lot of success come from that man when it came to his players moving on. And that's that can't be said about most junior colleges, I believe. Yeah, it's something I took with me, and it's a statement he used to always tell me. He's like, you always want to undersell and overperform. It's, I never heard him say that because I was the player, but yeah, yeah, he never said. I, I witnessed guys. it. I watched it. I, I, I was a part of that system, and I went through that system to see really how it worked. Yeah, and I mean, you know, we used to talk about it all the time because he would ask me, you know, where do you think this kid should go? Where do you think this? And I would say it. He'd be like, Nah, nah, nah. And I would be like, Well, coach, why do you think that? He's like, You have to understand. There's so many coaches out there that oversell. You know. Yeah. The, the the six three point guard that's really five eleven, yeah. And he's like, you know, when you ruin these relationships, because see, he was so respected, coaches would call him about guys that he's playing against. Yeah, yeah, I like, remember that. It know, was guys that I played against that he got D one scholarships. Yeah, and it was guys D1. that I was playing with getting recruited by the D one because they might have bust that D one player's ass who actually got the scholarship from yeah. the opposing team, and he's like, "Uh, no, you're going D two. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, the thing he always said is, you always, you know, if you oversell something, and or you oversell a kid and you send him to a school, that coach is never going to trust you again, and. I've that's the one thing I, I, I took with me, you know, my kid that went division one this year, you know, the, the coach of staff called me and said, coach, he's way better than you told us. You yeah. know, he can do way more than what you said. And I said, well, I knew that, but I wanted him to prove that to you guys once he got there. Yeah. And, you know, if, if he can do 10 things, if I can tell you about six or seven of them and that's enough, all right, cool. He can show you the other three or four things once he gets there. And and there's too much of that going on in basketball right now. It's too many people saying, oh, this kid's a pro. He's a surefire this and he's this, he's that. And, and then these coaches get him. And that's why there's so many transfers. That's part of the reason is because, you know, you told me this kid's a, a 6A shot blocker and he gets here and he's 6'6 and he can't jump. Yeah. Well, no, nah, I don't want him anymore. So I'm gonna put him at the end of the bench. So now yeah. the kid's upset, and you know, we you get a transfer. So, you know, it's it's both sides of the of the sword when it comes to that. So for me, I always keep it 100 with coaches. Like this is how tall he is. This is what he can do. This is what he can't do. You know, maybe he's a lazy. You know, look, he's a lazy dog in practice, but game time he straps it up. 
Yeah. So just know you're going to have to put your foot in his ass in practice. Yeah. He's going to give you everything in the game. And the more that you can tell a coach, because people say, oh, it's hating. It's not hating because they're used to it at the four-year level. Like if a kid is struggling academically and you're going to have to walk him to every class, tell the coach. Don't lie and say the kid's an excellent student. Yeah. Let them know they have people who could walk them to class every day. Yeah. But for don't sure. let them find out when the kids got an F in every class, like, oh, we got to walk this kid to class. Like, nah, yeah, tell them yeah. up front. Tell them up, yep. And, and so when, you, when you're up front with people, they respect you, whether it's good news or bad news, they know they're getting the truth and you can let them deal with it. Yeah. No, he definitely had that approach, man. And like I said, I, I really noticed it during my time playing there. But I, I, at that time, I was on the side of, well, damn, he, he might just be a hater. You know what I mean? And and yeah. granted, and granted, you know, acknowledging the opposing player that I seen him send D1 and his own player who I think on that particular night might have outdueled him. But over the course of the season – and even beyond, both of those guys ended up having a lot of success. The opposing player from the rival team had success at his school at the Division One level, and the player that he coached on his team that he sent D2 had mad success at the D2 level. So, it, you know, it was a crazy dynamic. And like I said, one that may not sound attractive, but it worked. <laughs> nah, he, was it worked. A good, he was a good talent evaluator. I mean, I'll never forget first practice. He asked me about you, like, because uh, I remember you came in for a, a workout. You were yeah. going to another school. He brought you in. He's like, what do you think of that kid? And I'm like, you know, he's cool. Uh, you know, I don't know, you know, if he's going to put us over the top. He's like, nah, that kid's a winner. We need it. Yeah. And I was like, okay. And then it was funny, like, after a couple weeks, I saw what he was talking about. But it took me two weeks to see what he saw. Yeah. In, in one and night. we won. We won up there. We won around there. I mean, your first year, <laughs> I, I'll never forget, man. One of the great performances is, you know, when, when we had our D1 center get hurt when we played yep. Citrus. Then they was number one in the state. They was number one in the state. We was yep. like number three in the state. And yep. the next game, we beat Citrus. And then the next game, we had Santa Monica, and his yep. back was hurt. And you started and played them near the whole game at center at six yeah. four. Yeah. <laughs> and and I was like, whoa. Yeah. And the thing I and I even I tell my players about you to this day. Yeah. You're one of the only kids that I ever coached and never made an excuse about anything. Yeah. And you know, a lot of kids could have said, hey coach, I'm only six four, man. How you expect me to stop this six eight dude? Like you just did it. Yeah. And it I wasn't mean, no excuses. It wasn't no negotiating like you yeah. took ownership of it like if something went wrong you was like my bad coach yeah for sure and, for and sure that was it and so i always admired you for that like that that toughness that mental toughness is 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 something great but like i said he saw that in in your first open gym yeah and i it took me like you know a couple of weeks to to see to it. see so what that, yeah he 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 had a skill at that appreciate the words but yeah no i i i always wanted to win growing up you know and and obviously you know we talk about bay area and sports you growing up in the bay area myself growing up in the bay area but we definitely had a culture out there in Vallejo when it came to sports in particular. We wanted to win. And a lot of the reason we wanted to win was because we did have talent out there, but Vallejo was always kind of looked at within the Bay Area region as that outside city. Some people used to Man. say that Vallejo wasn't a Bay. Yo, Rodriguez <laughs> team was tough. tough. We was tough. <laughs> we, uh. was tough. we was tough. And we had a lot of guys, obviously, Vallejo and Fairfield, 10 minutes apart from each other. But a lot of us grew up playing ball together in Vallejo and came over to Rodriguez. And, and that more so had to do with uh. the Vallejo School District, not even knowing if they was going to be able to have sports. And a lot of us yeah. wasn't going to take that chance. But yeah, we, we were tough. Every year we were tough. <laughs> every, every year. Every yeah. year, man, we were tough. We're, but but I want to kind of transition out of basketball a little bit, Jones. And I want to talk about uh I want to talk about a little bit of music. We we like to di- you know bring some culture in here. Okay. But, um, first I want to talk about versus. You've been checking out the versus battles and stuff. Yeah, there, yeah, yeah, yeah. Swizz and Tim. So um you got one happening next week, and this we probably won't release before next week's versus. So um, okay. 
Let's get it's, that uh, one like out of the T.I. and Jeezy. Yeah. Who you got and why? Because <sighs> I, 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 I take a deep breath when I think about it, too. It's tough. Okay. So T.I., I feel like, has the bigger records. Right. When you talk about, like, the one with Rihanna and, you know, he's got yeah. big billboard records. Right. Absolutely. But I feel like Jeezy moved the culture. I like, agree. The respect is like there for Jeezy. The Jeezy's got anthems that ring off in any hood. Uh, yeah, like any in hood. America. Any hood in America. In the I mean, world, really. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, so I, I just think T.I. is going to be able to play some records and it's going to be like, yeah, that's the number one record. Yeah, that's the number one record. Yeah. And there's certain things that Jeezy can put on that may not even hit the charts. Yeah. But everybody feels <laughs> yeah, it. Yeah, I agree. And I think Versus is about taking you back to a time. Yeah. Taking you back to a Nostalgic. Movie. Yeah, going back saying, man, I was in club such and such when that dropped or... You know, I remember, you know, whatever. It takes you back to a moment. I don't think T.I.'s records take you back to a moment. Yeah, and, and I think T.I. has a few records that will, especially, like, from his earlier trap days. Earlier we're talking stuff. about 20 songs and yeah. 20 of your best songs. And where I agree with you, I think we actually saw what this kind of, this battle kind of reminds me a little bit of is the Jada Kiss versus Fabulous battle. Exactly. Because... Fabulous had the bigger records than Jada Kiss, oh, but the dang. shit that Jada had ringing off in that verses had everybody going crazy to the point where a lot of people that I saw picked Jada Kiss as the winner in that. Certainly yeah. was more entertaining, and the records he was able to ring off, and we all know what kind of a fire flame spitter he was. Yeah, it was like ah, that feeling that I'm getting from Jada. I'm just not getting that from Fab, even though Fab had the bigger records, obviously. Yeah. And I like, feel like we could see something similar in this G in this Jeezy versus T.I. where Jeezy going to play some shit that ring off and you're going to be like, ooh, you can't deny that. Where, so like, you know, T.I. going like to ring something me, off this on the charts. But, like, even for me, like, okay, you take that T.I. and Rihanna record. Number one record, top of yep. the charts. Live your life. Live your life. Yeah. If I hear 24s, That'll take, yeah, that'll take you it somewhere. It takes me somewhere. <laughs> yeah. The Rihanna record is like, I remember it was hot. Yeah. 24s takes me back to a time, a place. I remember yeah. what car I had. I remember what clubs I was going to. Yeah. I remember I was, you know, jeans and white tee. Like, I remember that moment. Yeah. That's why I think T.I. does have those records, but Jeezy's got more of those records. Yeah, and, and that could take Jeezy over the hump. I agree with you there. Yeah. Um, what was it? It was a potential one that they were talking about. It's not official yet. Oh, it was a group one. Taking it a little. No, not even Jodeci. They were uh, talking about uh, a tribe called Quest versus Outcast, which I think would never yeah. happen. But nah, yeah, I don't think it'll ever happen. I don't. <laughs> I, I just don't. It's gonna be hard to get all of them. Q-Tip, Big Boy, and Andre Three Thousand. I I'm just a, feel like it's gonna be a hassle enough just getting all of them out and about. <laughs> I'm a three stacks lover and hater. Really? Yeah. I Why? Think, I think he's one of the dopest lyricists. I think almost every verse is dope, but he don't do enough for me. Like we get a verse every three years, every five years, like. I just wish that he would give us more product. Yeah. That's he, all. Yeah. Because he's so dope. Like, I don't want to have to go back to International Players Anthem. And right. Then, you know, Rosa like, Park, it's just these crazy. Yeah. appearances. Like, yeah. I mean, you know, he running around playing the flute now. So it's like, yeah. You know. uh, yeah. No, I feel you on that. And I think sometimes, you know, I think this. I think it's easier to pin us as the consumers as selfish when we say a statement similar to what you made. Yeah. Because obviously the artist is the artist. But I do believe there is a such thing as the artist being selfish too. Yeah. And the artist, you know, maybe 
like I said, I don't want to kind of dictate what that artist does, especially because what they're doing is serving me and it may not necessarily be serving them. But in some cases, it might serve you a whole lot more to keep on going in that studio and making that damn music. Yeah, all I'm saying, <laughs> I, I, I don't necessarily need For an album. For you and us. <laughs> yeah, I don't need an album all the time, but, you know, just maybe once a year, just give me a verse. A couple yeah. verses a year. Another one, another battle, potential battle that I actually just flat out made up in my head, and that was because Busta Rhymes is is struggling to find an opponent. I remember Busta Rhymes was going on live with uh, Swizzy and Timbaland back before, like since Versus is first started, and for a minute we thought it was going to be him and Snoop Dogg because Bus said he was willing to battle Snoop yeah. Dogg, and Snoop Dogg said he was willing to battle Bus. Obviously, Snoop Dogg faced off against. DMX, but yeah. this is one that I thought about in my head, and a lot of the reason is because I want to see more West Coast representation because all we really seen is Snoop Dogg from the West. Other than that, it's been all the East and the South. What do you think about a Busta Rhymes versus E-40 battle? Think about it. Think about it, Jones. They're different. They're drastically different. They're different, but they do span the exact they same amount of time. They span the exact same amount of time, Jones. If you're not from the Bay. You're going to go with bus, huh? Yeah. Well, here's the thing. Like, 40 got records. 40 got a turn record. Yeah, they, they both do. But... About 40. <laughs> but I think a lot of the stuff that 40 talked about was so regional. Okay. That a New Yorker, because you know, you a lot of New Yorkers are all like, oh, 40s whack. Yeah. This, this, and, that. and I mean, 40 spits. Like, 40 spits. He talks like, so much game. I mean, he's creating his own language, but. <sighs> but what I also think would be interesting about 42, though, what I think could help for you, a lot of what I look at in a lot of these versus battles is the narrative. And so you speak to 40 being a re being regional and I would agree Buster Rhymes was a lot more marketable. Mm -hmm. You know, he was wild. He had the crazy music videos, all of that to where it was going to catch anybody's eye just because of yeah. how different it was. But 40, I think could really play into a narrative that will be more educational than anything because you're going to hear some slaps and be like, Ooh, that was a heavy hitter. But also you're going to realize Yo, everything we've been doing over here, we kind of low-key got that from 40 because he'd been doing it for a long time. And he'll tell you about it because he tells you about it all the time in the interviews. People and the way he's going to say it is going to be so spectacular. Like like his vernacular and his slang is just off nah, the I charts. Agree. I agree. Like he's influenced so much of the culture that he doesn't get credit for. Yeah, like, I, I think he can spin the narrative a little bit. I just think there's so many 40 records that are anthems to us. Yeah, that ain't yeah. anthems to everybody else. <laughs> probably has never even heard. heard. Yeah. That's what's sad about it. Like it's stuff that we grew up grew up on, and we could say word for word, and like it's just it's ingrained in our brains as being from the Bay. Yeah, and you know you go to Jersey, and they like I ain't never heard this before. Yeah, I agree. Isn't I it? agree. So that's, I would say that's the only downfall of it. I just think that there's a portion of the country that didn't grow up on 40. Yeah, they need to a lot of people when, when 40, 40 started, take you to school, though. <laughs> but when he started doing the records with Little John during that period, yeah, that was a lot of people's introduction to, to 40. That's, that's very true. And that's, that's very true. 15 years late. Yeah, that's very true. Because when, when I was in middle school, he had albums out. Yeah. Slanging them out the trunk. Yeah, and so it's like so much of that period from from the the late '80s, early '90s until like I don't know what was it about 2002 or whatever. Yeah, around that time. Yeah, 2002. I would say. Yep. That whole that section of E40, a lot of people aren't keen to. So I think stuff after that people know, but before that, you know. But I tell you this much, though, versus is, I mean, uh, not versus, but Instagram in particular, I'm sure starting to see a lot of those older Facebookers make their way over to Instagram now while these kids go to TikTok. So 40 still might be able to play to his base a little more than we think because the OGs, is, they run Instagram now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's, that's my home. Yeah. <laughs> 
that's, yeah, that's for that's sure. But, but I would love to see that. I would love that would be dope. It would be different. It would be dope. Buster obviously will bring a certain kind of energy that's unmatched. And then 40 in his own right is going to bring a certain kind of like, 40 is going to be, you know, 40 drinks. That's that's 40. You know yeah. what I mean? The more I've, I've been backstage with E40, and I know what it's like when 40 is in show mode. You know what I mean? Yeah. And yeah. the more he sips and the more he talks, he reels you in, dog. It's crazy. Oh, that, that collar gets the pop. <laughs> that collar gets the pop. Yeah. He keeps sipping yeah. and he keeps talking. Man, he'll reel you. Man, you'll bite the bait. Yep. You will bite the bait, and, yep. and it's almost like undeniable that you'll bite the bait, man. So, Absolutely. so it's crazy. I would, I would love to just see that. And like I said, I just kind of, it just popped in my head, and I got a lot. I got a bunch of people reacting to it. Obviously, a lot of my followers is from the Bay because that's where yeah. we from, and so it was, it was E forty by a landslide, and I had maybe like two hundred people vote. You know what I'm yeah. saying? And it was E forty by a landslide, but I'm like, yeah. I also got. Bay followers by a landslide than anywhere exactly, else in the country. Exactly. So <laughs> it is. But no, nah, I, I would love to see it just for the rest of the country to be exposed to, to 40 and everything he's done for the Bay, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Bringing Tupac records out. He'll be able to do so much in a versus that's like, it, it, uh, their, their head will spin. Um, I mean, Dustin is disgusted. Dustin is disgusted. <laughs> I mean, you play that, that rings off in the Bay, but then somebody on the East Coast may have never even heard that. Man, never even heard it. Never heard it. My God. I, I just want to see 40 in there. I, like I said, I want to just see more West Coast representation in there, period. But from yeah. the Bay, we got 40 and we got two short. For me, I, I would want to see 40 in there just because of the personality aspect. Absolutely. Too Short was more of a personality in his music. Yeah. I think 40 is a personality in the music, and he's definitely a personality outside of the music as well. Man, uh, we need to push for that. We need to figure out the man. Right we gotta get we gotta get that one through, man. They gotta give yeah. us producer credits for that one, man, for pushing yeah. that one through. Uh, last question, though, Jones. Um, I got a lot of homies and a lot of people that are, are interested in coaching, um, and, and they really kind of, you know, I got a lot of friends right now that are coaching at high school levels, youth levels, AAU levels, all that good stuff. Um, what would you say, you know, the, you know, what advice would you give to any young man that's just wanting to coach basketball at any level to be able to a sustain and, and really maximize and make the most out of what I would consider to be a privilege to be a basketball coach? Um, the first thing that I would say is family first. Um, don't let the job of coaching consume you to the point that you neglect your family. Um, that was something that was tough for me to adjust to in the beginning. Um, Cause I literally um, got, when I got on at DVC, I got married like two months after. So it was, it was, you know, new marriage and, and working with that. And then, you know, a couple of years later, having my daughter, trying to, now I'm a dad and a coach. So um, always put your family first because um, there's moments that you're never going to get back with your family that you, you need to appreciate. Yeah. Second thing I would say is um, don't do it for any gratitude. Do it because you love it. Um, if you truly love it, um, that's going to supersede wins, losses. Um, it's going to supersede anything that happens on the court because you're always going to have ups and downs. You're not going to win every game. You're not going to lose every game. But you'll learn how to appreciate the moments. Um, so that's the second thing I would say. And finally, I would say is do it your way. Don't let anybody dictate to you how you know what offense you should run or you know how you should coach because if you end up getting fired and you didn't do it your way you're gonna always regret it you gonna always say man i should have just done it my way yeah um, whereas if you do it your way if it works great if it doesn't work you did it your way and you make adjustments right but believe in yourself have a plan and, and stick to your plan um 
And oh, one more thing, um, and this is something that I think has helped me a lot is um, under coaching is just like playing. When you're playing, you always want to get better. You always work out, you lift weights, you get extra shots up. It doesn't change when you're a coach. And so, you know, I don't know if you remember, but I'm going to NBA Summer League every single year. Yeah. And um, when I go out there in the summer, I network with other coaches. I I go to clinics. I watch, you know, guys work out. Um, I'm improving myself as a coach. So if I'm expecting my players to get better, I have to hold myself to that same standard. So, you know, I was – you know, I go to Santa Cruz. I got friends that coach with Santa Cruz Warriors. So I go down there and spend two, three days watching them. And and I'm always doing something to make myself better. I never have felt like I'm a finished product. I feel like there's so much more growth for me. And so, um, you know, you're, you're always, you got to make yourself better. I'm a better coach than I was last year. And that's the goal. Absolutely, man. Jones, well, tell the people where to follow you. Great advice there, by the way. Um, tell the people where they can follow you, follow your squad, whatever it is that you want to be seen. Yeah, um, I'm easy. I'm uh follow Mr. Jones on Just the educator in <laughs> We talked to Coach Jones today, but he's really yeah. educator Jones. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, every social media, my handles follow Mr. Jones. Um you know, that way it's, it's pretty uniform. But, yeah, um, I always, you know, throw updates on there about the program and, and, and our players and, and what's going on. So that's that's definitely the best place to, you know, get a hold of me. If you're a player and you're looking for somewhere to play, you know, hit me up on I always get requests on social media from around the world. So um, don't, don't ever hesitate to hit me up. I always answer. I always get back to you. And, um, yeah. For sure, man. Well, appreciate you again, Jones, for coming on to the podcast, man. And, appreciate you. And real you. quick, man, I want to congratulate you on all your success, man. Much appreciated, where, man. Where you started from and, and what you've grown into as, as a man, like, you validate what I do. Like, yeah. When I, when I look at you and I look at what you're doing and you're on TV speaking about politics, you're broadcasting D1 games, you got you graduate. You got a great education from a great yeah. school. Like that tells me that you know it's it was worth it. Absolutely. Even, even if you were the only one that that I reached in in my entire life, like it was worth it to see where you're at right now. And I'm looking forward to see where you're going from here. Cause like, yeah, you, me too. <laughs> I'm just like, <laughs> yeah, but yeah, I mean, nah, you, for real, you never know. <laughs> you should. You should. But I, I think you're. You're doing things the right way, and you know the, the podcast is great. Everything you're doing in media is great, and I want I want to see you take it to even greater heights. Man, I appreciate that. I, I appreciate that greatly, Jones. And like I said, man, you know, uh, you you were one that really kind of sat me down. And some of the things, like I said, you taught me, you told me, you advised me. It stuck with me to this day, um, and it's been effective still to this day. Yeah. And well, so, we, coaches, we always see the finished product. Yeah, yeah, y'all like, see it ahead of time. <laughs> yeah, like when, when players come in, like that's my first thing. I'm always looking like what you're going to be in five years. So, right, like, right. <laughs> you know, I was, I, was t- I was talking to you then, but I was talking to this bouncy right here. Right, right, exactly, Back exactly. Fourteen. Yeah, for sure, most definitely, definitely, man. Yeah, like I said, it, it, it – people don't really understand kind of the value of a coach. You know, I think I talked about it a little bit um, back when John Thompson died, because obviously, you know, that was a big deal in in the world of basketball, the world of sports, but especially in the world of coaches and players, you know what I mean? And uh, so just kind of looking at his relationship with AI and, you know, AI coming out and talking about how he saved his life. And like I said, I feel like that, that on so many levels and you were one of the coaches that played that type of a role in me with me in my life, because like I said, I was young, I was going through a whole bunch and it, it was so many different routes. Like I was going so many different directions, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? And I certainly went in the wrong direction a lot of times, like very often, but in other cases I was going in the right direction. And a lot of that had to do with, you know, having coaches like yourself that, 
was going to do everything you could do to push me to go into the right direction, even when I may have been kind of veering off and drifting away from where I needed to be. So yeah. uh, I appreciate you greatly for that, man. And, and that'll always be near and dear to me. And that's that's why I'm real happy to be able to have you here on the podcast today, because you know, I, I've met a lot of great people in this journey, in this industry. I'm very fortunate that they're always willing to come onto my platform and things like that. But, you know, like I said, although they're great friends, great people, great everything, being able to take it back to a time in my life that I didn't know a lot of these people and I wasn't in the position that I'm in right now necessarily. Like yeah. you was talking about with the versus stuff, it's nostalgic. It takes you to a place that's, that, that holds a lot of sentimental value ultimately. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, absolutely. Like I said, I still remember moments from, from, from when you played and things that you did and, and stuff you may not remember. And yeah, stuff we'll talk about off camera. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's good. It's good. Yeah. Yeah. Let's do it. It's good. Well, on that note, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to leave y'all the only way that we know how, and that is to stay woke and go win. <laughs>